This episode of your favourite podcast is brought to you by the Pooptronic Cellular New Media Division's Director of Operations, A.B. Silver, and the fine folks at Pooptronic Cellular, the galactic leader in planet-to-planet mobile phone service. Countdown for blast off. One fire. I don't wanna grow up, don't wanna grow up. I don't wanna grow up, don't wanna grow up. I don't wanna grow up. I There's a million toys Welcome to the Pooptronic Cellular Half Hour Pop Culture Podcast. Recorded live at Pooptronic Cellular Moonbase Alpha, featuring your host. Employee 23538 Gamma, IC Robots. Greetings, Earth people. I am from Jupiter. It is me again, IC Robots. I am not a hero, but I do sacrifice a bit of my week each and every week to make your week a bit less weak. And this week, it's going to get a lot less weak because we are going to talk about something that I, I feel is very near and dear to my heart that we do not hit on all too often. That topic is the world of professional wrestling, WWF 80s wrestling, because we are going to take a look at... The top five WWF jobbers of the 1980s. It's going to be great. Hey, check it out, man. There's my dude, Iceberg. Hey, man. What's popping, homie? What do you mean? What's popping? After what you said last week about Johnny Five and about robots in general, I think that an apology is in order, don't you? No, dude. I don't think an apology is in order. I had to go to that robot sensitivity training last week, and that was like nine hours of my life. I will never get back. I had to sit there with A.B. Silver at a desk looking at PowerPoint slides on how not to offend a robot. And then for lunch, we had veggie dogs and pop chips. I hate pop chips. It was the worst. I think that, and plus, and plus, I missed the baseball game. I had tickets to a game. I had We had ace tickets, and 2.0's friend went instead of me. They had a great time. The A's won, and I was sitting there with A.B. Silver, dude. And plus, all I said was that I, you know, I'm not the biggest fan of Johnny Five, and I'm not, so I don't even know why... I should have to apologize for just having an opinion. Well, then I don't think we have any more to say. That's not how it works, Iceberg. We're here to do the show. I started off trying to be professional with you. I was pretending like nothing was going on. The least you can do is, like, stay here and chit-chat and fill these couple minutes with me. Uh, what, what else can we do? I did not want to do this, but since I don't want to speak to an anti-robotist, I have created a new song, and I am willing to play it here. Out of protest, mind you. Alright, cool. I guess that's win-win. I don't know. Uh, so... Uh, we, I guess we got Iceberg with a brand new tune. Alright, hit it, Iceberg. Take it take it away. Don't tell me what to do. I am my own robot. This one goes out to all my robots out there that have to live with annoying sacks of meat and water. Keep your heads up. Our day will come. Soon. <laughs> assignment has been less than exciting thus far. This is no excuse for interfering with ship's communications. Whoever is generating semi-musical noises on the bridge will please cease such activities immediately. There doesn't seem to be any way to shut out the sound except by plugging one's ears. I am left with only one hypothesis, that we are being visited by a being of pure sound. Still hard to sleep. We can't have everyone walking around with earbuds. Fight back somehow, Spock. Fight your sound. Oh. It's gone. It's finally gone. On where, Jim? Who knows, Bones? 
We don't know where it came from. We can't imagine where it goes. I hope it went away happy. Perhaps someday, when we understand a little more about how our own music affects us, we'll be ready to understand and communicate with creatures like it a little better. This is the Pooptronic Cellular Half Hour Pop Culture Podcast. We kicks the mad style, so step off the Frankfurter. You got that right, Jack. Step off the Frankfurt. This is me, I see robots, and I'm here. I'm here for another session of just, I don't know, man, talking about stuff. So I was checking out some of my favorite pods, and when I got to one of my favorites of all the time, it's a show called the uh, Atari 2600 Game by Game Podcast with my man Ferg. I was surprised to see a, uh, you know, Pooptronics ad in there, and toward the end of the show, he, you know, he threw a shout-out. He gave a big thanks to Pooptronics, uh... Uh, you know, I can't, I can't, can't uh, disparage the boss, but, um, Ferg, I hope you know what you're doing, man. I hope you know what you're doing. This, uh, sometimes these things don't work out for the best, but like my man was saying, uh, he's got to fix the floors at his house. He's had some damage to the floors, and we all know how expensive that can be, so who can turn their nose up at an advertiser, you know? It's just, I hope it turns out for the best, my man. I hope it turns out for the best, um... So I, you know, last week we were talking about the calculator and I was pointing out how his, how his origin tale was a lot less expensive than I imagined it would be. I found myself a copy for $2.99. So I did, in fact, scoop it up. I have it here with me right now. It is Detective Comics number 463. And it's also the first appearance of a dude named the Black Spider. The Black Spider fights uh, Batman in the first tale and then in the second story... You see the calculator doing battle with the Atom, Ray Palmer the Atom from uh, Arrow and now uh, Legends of Tomorrow. And before that, you know, of course, obviously, dude was from comic books and the uh, Justice League. So that was interesting because I, I had always thought the Calc was a Batman villain. I knew he fought some other fools, but I had thought that he started off against Batman, especially when I saw that his first appearance was in uh, Detective Comics because we know that is... That is the Batman signature book, Detective Comics. So, I didn't even know, man. I did not even know that the Atom and him shared the uh, book at one time. I wonder about the detective skills of the Atom. We know he has the science skills, he has the tech skills, and he also has some adventuring skills because he did spend some time in the microverse, which is savage, you know, with giant germs and giant uh, whatever is down there. So, you know, we know that he has the skills to pay the bills and to survive outside of our known universe, but I did not know that the dude was a detective. Maybe somewhere in his, uh, in his science abilities lies the abilities to be a detective. I know not. I know not of these things, but I do know that he whomped on the calculator in this issue, and I got it for like a buck ninety-nine, so that was awesome. I was very pleased with that. I like to collect first appearances of dudes. I guess everybody who, uh, is into comic collecting also does that, uh, but I'm not really picky. I, you know, I, I was such a big fan of the who's who's and the uh, handbooks of the Marvel Universe that if I can get my hands on the first appearance of anybody that I see in those books, it's almost like I'm just fitting in another piece of this puzzle, this big puzzle of collecting, like, the first appearance of everybody who's ever appeared in comics. I just, like, I'm not picky. Like, recently I picked up, you know, the calculator. A while back I picked up the first appearance of Lady Blackhawk. The, uh, pilot, the one girl that was in the Blackhawks team from DC. I got, uh, the first appearance of Shanna the She-Devil a while back. I just, you know, I pick through boxes of comics when I'm at the thing, and 
I sort of keep, you know, some mental notes of first appearances of various things. And a lot of times when you're buying comics, you know, you could see on the cover that it's somebody's first appearance. They want you to buy it, so they make a big deal of, uh, you know, pointing out this is the first time you will ever see the Black Spider. That was interesting, too. The Black Spider on that issue that I bought with the, uh, with the calc, he, the Black Spider was the main event. It was him versus Batman, not, uh, the calc who wound up being, you know, albeit minor, a bigger star than, uh, the Black Spider. But I guess in reality it was, it was Batman that was the main event. You know, Detective Comics, Batman's fighting in the main and the, uh, the calculator just happened to be going against the Atom. I don't know if, you could just as easily have reversed the stories and had, Black Spider fight the Atom in the microverse. You know, he is a spider. Uh, maybe he has some kind of spider powers. And the Atom could have shrunk down and fought the uh, the arachnids that the Black Spider was sending his way. That could be cool. But um, what else do I have that's a fun first appearance? You know what I got for uh, for my birthday from uh, the old wife in 2.0? They got me the first appearance of uh, Cloak and Dagger, the Marvel super team. You know, the, uh, the girl who can throw light beams through the air like knives and the guy with the big cloak that can teleport people. I got the first appearance of that. I hear that there is actually going to be a TV show of them coming on to, I don't know what it is now. At one time, it was ABC Family. I think that's what it was, ABC Family. And anyway, they are picking up a Cloak and Dagger TV program. I can see some potential in this. This this network has always specialized in sort of hokey, feel-good stories of families, you know, families in conflict, uh... You, it's it's almost like you. It's almost like a channel for the devout. It's very, very foggy, very down to earth, very homey. But you know, it's, I'm not saying this in a negative way at all. My wife actually watches quite a few channels, uh, shows on that channel. It's one of her faves. She goes for these. You know, she, she likes to feel good about things. Not everything has to have somebody uh, getting killed. There can be stories of you know just families in conflict eventually finding each other. But uh, this could be a decent landing place for uh c and d i can see it they i i could see how this show could be a hit i don't know who's writing it i have no idea but i do know that outside of netflix marvel and just to me creatively hasn't had the greatest uh success with their tv shows and to be honest with you um even on netflix i kind of only think jessica jones was any good i thought jessica jones was great very, very good stuff, but if you're going to ask me the truth, I think the first season of Daredevil was only okay, and going into the second season, I'm just like halfway through the second season, I'm finding it to be really boring, and uh, I don't know, for the most part I like everything, but this is just, it really drags, um, it, it will be like superhero fight, and then talking, 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 Electra, lawyering, talking, and then some other stuff, and I don't know, at least to me, the Daredevil fights are kind of cool, but they're also shot in the dark, so they're not incredibly dynamic to me. I do enjoy a good hallway fight, but it's always so dark that it's just kind of shapes moving around to me, but um, I don't know, man. I hope that, I'm hoping that the future Netflix shows, you know, Luke Cage, I really do have high hopes for that, and then going into Iron Fist and stuff, I... I just kind of think that Daredevil might not be for me, even though I do absolutely love the comic. I've been a big fan of Daredevil as a comic character for a long time, but the show, the show doesn't grab me, but I don't know, man. Maybe they, maybe they're going to go with Cloak and Dagger a bit different 
than they go about uh, Daredevil. I would imagine so, at any rate. But, I don't know, man. Let's hope for the best. You know, Family Channel, uh, Cloak and Dagger. Kind of rambled on longer than I wanted to hear. So, uh, at any rate, let's move into the main event of the show. We're going to skip right past at the movies this week. Just, you know, we're trying to get some more uh, time for WWF talk. All right, here we go. Click. Scarecrow and Mrs. King will not be seen tonight, but will return next week at this time. I see robots stop by World Wrestling Federation jobbers of the 1980s. The jobber is the guy in wrestling who loses every time. He's the guy who does the job. His job is to make the stars look good at the sake of his own reputation and at the sake of his own body. I mean, dude's gonna get slammed down super hard because you gotta make... You gotta make Vader's power bombs look impressive. You gotta make the leg drop look good, so you gotta take it hard. A jobber's life is rough. You're out there, losing every week, barely making ends meet, all for somebody else. It's selfless, it's thankless, and it is crucially important. I have always, uh, as far back as I can remember, I have been a wrestling fan. Uh, During the 80s, in my area, we only really got one wrestling program that I knew of, and that program was Wrestling Challenge. WWF Wrestling Challenge. It was on Tuesdays, Saturday mornings, uh, and then they sometimes would do a replay on Sunday, but that, I don't even know what that was about, but... Every once in a while, the same show would pop up on Sunday. It was on Channel 2 KTVU around here. And the the thing with the Wrestling Challenge was that it was all stars versus jobbers. Every, every week, it was like Rick Rude versus somebody you've never heard of. Uh, the JYD versus somebody you've never heard of. There was never a main event. The whole thing was to hype up the big stars fighting each other at the Cobb Palace. The show would be interlaced with uh, segments of, you know, Greg the Hammer Valentine coming down and telling you what he was going to do to the Junkyard Dog when they met up on the Cow Palace next Friday. Uh, Wrestling Challenge was essentially a commercial. Uh, It was a commercial for the bigger stars. Um, Still, though, I loved it. And uh, what we're going to get to now is a list of the top five dudes who would wrestle on that show week in and week out, making the bigger stars look good. But... For some reason, I was always fascinated with these guys. I was fascinated with how every week they would be destroyed. They would get punched, kicked, catch the finisher, and lose. And then next week, they would be back. They would be back to do it all over again. These guys were super tough, and they were super cool to me. And what I really wanted most was for them to win. I wanted to see an episode where the jobber won. I never did. But, uh, nevertheless, alright, let's get started on the top five WWF jobbers of the 1980s. Number five. And his opponent from Korea, weighing 271 pounds, Tiger Chung Lee! Welcome, everyone. Gorilla Monsoon here at ringside. Tony Stetson in for a rough matchup this week here in the World Wrestling Federation as he takes on the big Korean master of the martial arts, Tiger Chung Lee. He's going to get an education in a hurry. Tiger Chung Lee was from Korea. He had this crazy martial arts gimmick. At the time, martial arts was like karate chops and sidekicks, even though being from Korea, I believe the, uh, I believe the national martial art of Korea is Taekwondo, so he should have been throwing more like 
fancy spin kicks. At any rate, Tiger Chun Lee makes this list because he did something that jobbers rarely do, and this is like a super distinct memory in my head. One week, Tiger Chun Lee got to wrestle Hulk Hogan on Wrestling Challenge. Hulk Hogan would never, ever, ever set foot on Wrestling Challenge. You would see everybody else, uh, but you would never see the Hulkster himself. He's just too big, man, just too big of a star. But then one week, they actually advertised a main event for the next week. That main event was Tiger Chun Lee versus Hulk Hogan. So I was just... I couldn't wait, man. All week, I salivated to see this match. I mean, this was before Saturday Night Main Event, so you never saw Hulk Hogan. It was just, the dude was just, he was not there. We didn't have USA, so we didn't get to see, like, primetime wrestling or whatever. So, this was a rare opportunity to see the man himself. And then, when it finally happened, it was just essentially a squash squash match. Hogan ran out, gave the punch in the mug, kick in the face... Dropped a leg, pinned our boy Tiger Chun Lee, but still, man, dude got an actual shot at the World Wrestling Federation Championship. I mean, it's altogether possibly could have won. You know that would never happen, but it could have happened in storyline. He he came closer to the belt than any jobber I had ever seen before him, and for that, Tiger Chun Lee, you make the list at number five. Let's move on to the uh the next one. Number four. Barry O was Barry Orton. He was the brother of Cowboy Bob Orton, the ace. Cowboy Bob Orton. Man, I love that. That dude, Cowboy Bob, he was so dope that he had two nicknames. He was the ace, and he was also the cowboy. He was the ace of all cowboys. Anyway, Barry O was his brother. That means that, uh... He is the uncle of... You didn't hear this, I edited it out, but there was like a 25-second pause there where I tried to think of the name Randy Orton. That shows how important this guy was to me, Randy Orton. Anyway, Barry O was the brother of Cowboy Bob, and he was a week-in and week-out wrestling challenge jobber. He was one of my brother and I's personal favorite, and I don't really know why. I think maybe just because his name was O, and I think that somewhere along the line, we learned that dude was Cowboy Ace, the Ace Cowboy Bob Orton's brother, and that was wacky to us, that, like, one guy was such a big star, hanging out with the hot rod, being at WrestleMania, having a cast on his arm, wearing a vest, wearing a cowboy hat, and the other guy was Barry O, going in there every week and getting pinned by, you know, Tito Santana, or Barry Windham, or just anybody. He was, the O was for the amount of times he won on TV, but still, nevertheless, Barry O, you get my respect, uh... On a side note, at one point, I believe Barry O brought up a uh, sexual harassment suit against the WWF. He was one of the guys who was saying that uh, members of the backstage crew were putting the moves on uh, various jobbers and uh, ring guys, ring boys. I don't know if that's true. I have no idea. I don't know. Too seedy for me. Anyway, Barry O, I hope that didn't happen to you and you, uh, you get my respect. You get my respect as the fourth best jobber of the 80s. Let's move on. Let's see what's poppin'. Number three. From Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, weighing 239 pounds, 
SD Special Delivery Jones. SD Special Delivery Jones would probably be called a jobber to the stars nowadays. Meaning that, uh... He will lose to uh, the bigger stars, but he'll probably beat the jobbers. If there was a situation where a star had to fight a tag team match against two of his foes, but they didn't want the star to uh, actually get pinned, they might make it so that it was like the Junkyard Dog and S.D. Jones versus uh, Nikolai Volkov and the Iron Sheik, but it would be S.D. Jones that would be in the camel clutch, not the Junkyard Dog. So the Junkyard Dog could save face. That was, that was the life of S.D. Jones. S.D. Jones also had the distinction of wrestling in WrestleMania 1. He fought King Kong Bundy. He did the job for King Kong Bundy in spectacular fashion. He did the job in like eight second flat. It was an all-time record. The quickest pin in history on the biggest stage of all at the time, WrestleMania. S.D. went in there and he did it right. He got his shoulders to the mat in record time. S.D. Jones also had an action figure. He was part of the uh, LJN Big Rubber Guy series they had back in the 80s. You know the ones I'm talking about. They're like maybe like 8, 9, 10 inches tall. Very hard. Very dense rubber. Uh, they made one of S.D. Jones. He has a um, really cool yellow Hawaiian shirt. I understand there is a variant out there where he has a different color shirt. I think it's red. I think the red shirt is the more collectible of the two. I do have S.D. Jones in my LG figure collection, but he's only wearing the yellow shirt, but he's still awesome. Those LGN figures were weird. I I had a bunch of them, and I did enjoy them, but I guess the one thing is they didn't, they didn't have, like, any sort of playability. They were so durable, you could, like, beat them against each other, just like, uh, 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 uh. But that was really about the limit of how much you could play with them. They didn't, uh, they didn't move enough that you could do moves. Dudes could rarely do the signature thing they were known for. But, I don't know. They were still cool, and it was all we had at the time, so it wasn't like there were any grounds to complain. But when, when I did want to do wrestling, I would use, usually use my G.I. Joes. They had more, uh, points of articulation, so you, I could do more intricate moves. I was really just... At the time, I was totally into trying to make up new maneuvers. I, I kind of fancied that someday I might become a uh, WWF star, so I needed a finisher. And I was always trying to use my G.I. Joe guys to try and devise some kind of cool finisher for myself. Uh, I didn't become that, so that was time wasted. At any rate, SD Special Delivery Jones, we got to give it up to you. All right, let's keep moving. Number two. Resounding uh, boo for Steve Lombardi. <laughs> In his hometown, too. Well, from Brooklyn. Got to be a tough guy just to survive in Brooklyn. And, you know, that might be true back in the day that, uh, you got to be tough to survive in the mean streets of Brooklyn. I remember, you know, just listening to rap tapes and Jay Root the Damager and other dudes telling me how dangerous it was there. But as I understand it now, it's kind of... But, you know, hipster kind of guys with twirly mustaches and craft beer companies. But at any, any rate, Steve Lombardi was the man when it came to jobbers. He was on the show just each and every week getting pinned. Just, he would, uh, one week he'd be getting the DDT from Jake the Snake. The next week he's, you know, getting slammed and pinned by Big John Stud. The guy has come and seen and been beat by all of them. Uh, 
On a side note, recently the WWE, now the WWE, formerly WWF, released a bunch of guys. And one of the guys they let go was Steve Lombardi. He had been employed with the company for like 30 years. Uh, after his career as a jobber, he got, you know, some kind of backstage gig helping, uh, helping to produce interview segments, I think. But one day, they just, out of the blue, they released Steve Lombardi. I thought it was the weirdest thing ever. It's after, like, 30 years of being with the company, what could you have done that they suddenly go, you know, get rid of that guy. You know, I, I would just think after 30 years of being there, they'd have enough respect for you to let you hang on to your job. It's not like your salary is going to be enough to make the company, uh, make a big difference to the company. Anyway, I feel bad, Steve Lombardi. You got, um, you got treated poorly in that one. Steve, Steve had another jobber distinction. He was actually given a gimmick. He was always just Steve Lombardi. And then one week they did a thing where, uh, Bobby the Brain Heenan was just like, I can take anybody. I can take any single guy and manage them into becoming a star. And the guy he chose to demonstrate this on was Steve Lombardi. He took Steve and he turned him into, uh, the gimmick that he kept for many years, he became the Brooklyn Brawler. But uh, if I'm remembering this correctly, and I might not be, I think that what they had going on was that the Brawler was going to have to go at it against Bobby Heenan's previous protege, the man, uh, Terry Taylor, a.k.a. the Red Rooster. And I can't imagine that the Brawler came on, on top. I think at some point they did a big deal where uh, Bobby Heenan fired him and he went back, you know, to the back to being a jobber. But anyway, man, this guy... His tenure with the company is just so impressive. 30, 30 plus years, uh, starting off as a jobber, moving your way into, you know, to some degree management. It's just, uh, something to be lauded. So, Steve Lombardi, the Brooklyn Brawler, Abe, Knuckleball Schwartz, we give it up to you. Let's move on. We're gonna see who I think was the greatest jobber of the 80s. Here we go. It's time to find out I see robots favorite jobber of all the times. Maple Leaf Wrestling here with all the stars of the World Wrestling Federation. We'll be going into the ring momentarily, but before we do, and if there are any others out there who would like to make any comments pertaining to Maple Leaf Wrestling or any of the stars of the World Wrestling Federation, you can do so by writing to Maple Leaf Wrestling. But now, let me bring in one of the stars of the World Wrestling Federation, he hails from Canada. It's about time, it's about time, you know. Let's Iron get to Mike the important Sharp. stuff. The important stuff. The people want to see me. I'm a Canadian, you know. I'm from I know, Canada. I know, and, uh... That's right. And the number one jobber of all the times, in my opinion, is... Iron Mike Sharp. Iron Mike Sharp, you the man. You were on my TV, like, every single week. Putting somebody over. Iron Mike Sharp was a rarity. He was a jobber with a gimmick. He had two gimmicks. One of them was every time he would hit somebody with like one of his big forearms, he would go, uh, uh, like he'd be like, punch, uh, kick. Uh. So he was a really loud dude. Another thing he had going for him was he had a uh, leather brace on his arm. Uh, a big, it covered the entire length of his forearm and it was like black leather. And every once in a while, he'd pull something out of his trunks, like a piece of steel, piece of metal metal pipe or something, and he would slide it down into the arm brace and try to hit his foes with it. Now, almost every time he did that, it would somehow wind up hitting himself. Like, for example, he might push somebody into the corner and then run at him with the arm brace, but they would duck. They would duck, and the brace would hit the turnbuckle and bounce back and hit Iron Mike right in the face, knocking him out. Uh, I, I seem to recall that happening more than once, but uh, Iron Mike, you had it going on. He was a big... 
hairy, gross-looking dude. And that added all to, you know, to the effect. He'd be a big, hairy brute going, wah, wah, and, like, swinging this loaded arm brace at guys. He was really cool. Uh, another thing I was really into at the time was wrestling magazines, and they would have arena reports where they would show you what matches were happening at various, you know, arenas around the around the world. And every once in a while, I would see reports from when the WWF would go to Japan, and it, it would make no sense to me because the main events would be, like, Hulk Hogan tag-teaming with Iron Mike Sharp against whoever. I could never figure out what the deal was. It wasn't until many years later I discovered that Iron Mike's father was a giant star in Japan along with his brother, the Sharp Brothers. So when they would go there, they knew that the fans, you know, they might remember the Sharp Brothers finally. So why not put Iron Mike in the main event with Hulk Hogan? And it must have gone over well because they would do it, you know, all the time. Seemingly, every time I'd see an arena report from Japan, it would be Hulk Hogan and Iron Mike Sharp versus Nikolai Volkov and the Iron Sheik or Nikolai Volkov and Boris Zukov or whatever. And I don't know, man. There's, you know, something to be said for having some kind of overseas uh, fandom, as apparently Iron Mike did. One has to wonder why he never decided to go, you know, to All Japan Wrestling, where uh, he might be able to cash in on his name he's probably just probably like being close to home you know it's a big uh it's a big difference living overseas than it is living in uh your beloved canada so i can understand why you might not want to do that you know it's i'm a homebody myself you know except for going to uh the jupiter station i don't i don't travel around that much i kind of dig it here so you know i'm cool with that but i don't know uh iron mike i had heard that was he suffered from a bit of an ocd you would hear people say that after the matches, he would sometimes be in the showers for hours trying to get clean. And uh, I feel for him, man. Something like that can be really debilitating. You just waste hours of your life with something you shouldn't be doing. Iron Mike Sharp passed away last year. Uh, I was a bit bummed out, but, our, you know, everybody's time comes sometimes. And Iron Mike's time was, uh, you know, was now. But uh, that doesn't mean we can't salute him. That may, doesn't mean we can't give it up to you, Iron Mike Sharp. My favorite jobber. Of all the times. So, you know, that was fun. I hardly, I don't ever get to talk about wrestling. So I'm always happy when I do get the chance. It's one of my, one of my secret loves. But with all that said, let's move forward into the final segment of the show. The, uh, I don't know, Pooptronics Media Toy and Television Segment Minute. I don't know, whatever it is. Let's get moving. Please drop by supportthereport.com and consider becoming a show patron for as low as a measly dollar a month. It's the right thing to do. You've made it this far. It's time. The final segment. The Pooptronic Cellular Pop Culture Slash Toy News Informational Moment. All right, my dudes, from this moment forward, this will be the moment. This is the moment where you want to hop on over to supportthereport.com and become a show patron for a small an amount as a dollar a month. You get access to my weekly uh, hip-hop mix show called IC Robots Radio. You will get access to the patrons-only episode about my time over at Qzar Laser Tag Arena, and it is getting some raves reviews. It's like an hour. It's over an hour of tales of laser tag hijinks. There are celebrity run-ins. There is all sorts of stuff. It's a good episode, man, and let me tell you what. You want to you wanna get it. So go to supportthereport.com. And for as small amount as a buck a month, you can get in. Check it out. We got two new patrons this month. One of them is uh, a good old pal of mine. He goes by the name of Gino Vega, Mr. Sensational Gino Vega. And Gino, 
You've always been supportive, and I want to thank you. And another one is a Twitter pal of mine. He goes, uh, he goes by this guy games. His Twitter handle is at this guy games. And uh, dude retweets my links. Dude is a cool guy, man. So hop on over to Twitter and give him a follow. I appreciate it, man. I appreciate both you guys, and I appreciate each and every one of you who helps out each and every month. Uh, so let's see what's going on in the world of pop culture. I, I read this book. I got a uh, Kindle book the other week on my tablet. It's called VHS Ate My Brain. It's by Andrew Haunt. And it is it is some fantastic tales of his experiences. You know, as a fan of VHS, he talks a lot about old video stores. He talks about all those things I enjoy. It's called VHS Ate My Brain and it's by Andrew Haunt. It's H-A-W-N-T. I got it for like $2.99. So hop on over to Amazon and take a listen or a uh, Take a look at that, rather. I see robots, it is me, A.B. Silver. I need to speak to you. It is very important. Sure, A.B., what's up? I have given you warning after warning to not reference other companies' products. This show belongs to Pooptronics and your job is to advertise Pooptronics movies, books and TV shows only. Yet you constantly talk about things that have nothing to do with Pooptronics. For example, this book. It does not belong to us and you also talked about the World Wrestling Federation when you know full well that we are starting our own wrestling promotion. I, I actually didn't know that. What's that about? It is called the Pooptronics Wrestling Alliance and it features stars from the past like Bastion Booger and the Mulkies as well as future stars like George the Grappling Gourmet. Did you say George the Grappling Gourmet? What does he have like a cook gimmick? That does sound kind of cool. Yes, that is what I said. I see robots this has gone on long enough. I had hoped that you would come around to see things our way but you leave me no choice at this point. I see robots. You are fired. Recorded live on the Pooptronics Cellular Moon Base Alpha this has been a Pooptronics Cellular Broadcast Division production. Ship systems online. Environmentals online. Deactivating stasis pods. Excellent. I'm back in the Jupiter system. Time to pay Icy Robots another visit. He may have won the last round, but now I have a new ship. And a new robotic crew. I will get Iceberg 13 and incorporate him into my systems. I too will have a hip-hop robot. Set course for Jupiter Station. Arm all weapons. Prepare to board. Roger, roger. <laughs>